do appreciate uh, everyone's presence this morning. I'll invite you to turn to the book of Luke today. The book of Luke. Third book of the New Testament, third gospel, after Matthew and Mark. Luke tells us in chapter 9 of his gospel that Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem. He set his face, uh, some versions say, set his face to go to Jerusalem. That was after Peter's confession at Caesarea Philippi, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was after the transfiguration of Christ. And Jesus knew, of course, that when he got to Jerusalem, he would be arrested, he would be tried, he would be condemned, and he would be crucified. And yet, he set his face. He was determined to go to, the, to Jerusalem nonetheless. In Luke chapter 17, which is the passage we want to look at today, as he was going along the way, verse 11 says, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. So we're going to talk about Jesus healing these ten lepers. It's a simple story, really. It's not, it's not complicated. It's, it's straightforwardly told, but, and one that we might, have, uh, we might be familiar with. But some very strong, powerful lessons in it nonetheless. And so let's just read the account, and we'll talk about it a little bit, and we'll draw out from this particular episode in Jesus' life some important lessons. Again, verse 11. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men stood at a distance, met him. They raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. As they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but the nine? Where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. And so we're going to talk about, especially focused on this one who came back to give thanks to Christ for being cleansed or being healed. And he's described in the passage as a Samaritan. Let's talk a little bit about the story. Just to work our way through, notice some highlights in the story. And so these ten leprous men, these ten men that have leprosy, they encounter Jesus. They, they, they see Jesus, they stand away from Him at a distance, but they call out to Him for healing. The, the term leprosy in the Bible covers a wide range of disorders. Sometimes it's in the Old Testament said to get into cloth or to get into clothing or to get into a home. And uh, on other occasions, it's a disease of the body. It's a skin disorder, a skin disease. Sometimes it would clear up by itself. And so if that's the case, a person that had been sick with leprosy or had leprosy, he was to go to the priest and the priest would, would examine him and uh, see if that that the leprosy had cleared up, or if it was still there. At other times, it would be fatal. And so it would just, it was a terrible disease. It would just eat away and eat away at a person's flesh until he eventually died. 
You remember, might remember the episode in the Old Testament where uh, Naaman had leprosy and, and he was going to go down into Israel to be cleansed or to be healed, at least hoping to be healed. And uh, the king of Israel found out about it and he said, you know, am I God? Can I make someone alive or dead? And so that, that statement indicates for us just what a terrible disease, what an extreme situation it was. It could be highly contagious. And so people were under the law of Moses, if they had leprosy, they were to stand at a distance away from everyone, cover themselves, and, and cry out, unclean, unclean, don't, don't come near. I've got something that might be highly contagious and, and you'll, you'll, you'll get it. Sometimes they lived in leper colonies just by themselves. Again, a terrible disease. And we see it in this particular passage, but we see it elsewhere as well, that when a person is healed of leprosy, sometimes it says that he's healed, but at other times he's cleansed. He's cleansed of his leprosy. And that's an indication of just what sort of disease it was and how terrible and corrupting it was. Nobody wanted to be around a leper. And people would, would I'm sure they would run <laughs> if they if they realized this person that was coming into their, their area was, was, was a leper, that they, they did everything within their power to stay away. But Jesus had mercy on them and healed them. See, in more than one, multiple occasions in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 11, it simply says that he healed the lepers. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, a leper comes to Jesus and wants Jesus to have mercy upon him and to help him, and Jesus touches him. Don't know how long it had been since that man felt a human touch, but that just shows the compassion and mercy that Jesus had toward that man. He reached out and touched him and healed him. In Matthew chapter 10, as Jesus is sending the apostles out to preach the gospel in Israel, he gives them power to cleanse the lepers. And so on multiple occasions in the, in the Gospels, Jesus encounters a leper or lepers, enables his apostles to cleanse the lepers and has mercy on them. In this particular case, in Luke chapter 17, Jesus cleanses 10 lepers. He cleanses them all simultaneously. It's not as though he has to take one at a time or maybe over a course of several days or, or months or weeks. No, simultaneously, Jesus heals, cleanses 10 lepers. There's no dramatic demonstration, no waving of the arms, no abracadabra, no magic wand, no explosion with smoke. Just go on your way, simple instructions. Go show yourself to the priest. And as they went on their way, they were cleansed. And so can you imagine what that scene must have been like? These 10 men walking together, going toward the priest. One of them looks and says, hey, your leprosy is gone. Well, you know, I can't believe it is. And all of a sudden, their leprosy is gone. <laughs> it's just not there anymore. One of them, of course, returns to thank Jesus. You see that in verses 15 and 16. His actions indicate just how grateful he was. He came to Jesus. He fell on his face at his feet. Now that's, that's interesting, isn't it? Before he was cleansed, he stood at a distance. Now he's right there at the feet of Jesus. 
And so he understands his leprosy is gone. And he expresses his gratitude. His, his actions uh, reflect how grateful he, he was, falling on his face at the feet of Jesus. He knew that he had been in a desperate situation. He couldn't remedy the situation himself. Nobody could help him. But he believed Jesus could, so he turned to Jesus to do what he couldn't do for himself, and Jesus does. He, along with the others in verse 13, call out to Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on us. You can help us. You can do what no one else can do. And Jesus appreciates his actions. He appreciates his gratitude, I'm sure. But he's also disappointed that the other nine don't go to the trouble. Don't, don't bother to come back and thank Jesus. His foreign uh, status is highlighted in this verse. We're told in verse 16 he's a foreigner. And then in verse 18 he says, Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And so that suggests as well, just, this is a sort of a surprising thing that this Samaritan, a non-Israelite, would be cleansed by Jesus and come back and take the time to thank Jesus for that cleansing. And Jesus commends him then, and then the story, the narrative continues. Just a few verses, a remarkable story really, simply and straightforwardly told, and then moving on to other episodes in Jesus' life, but uh, a passage that we can draw some really powerful lessons from. The first one is, now Jesus' miracles are evidence that He's the Son of God. That's the obvious lesson, isn't it? Isn't that the obvious point to make? This indicates to us, this shows us, suggests to us, the true identity of Jesus. Back in Matthew chapter 11, we, we uh, uh, referred to this passage just a few minutes ago. In Matthew chapter 11, John is asking about Jesus. It's going to send some of his disciples to find out the answer. Is Jesus the one that we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? And Jesus says in verse 4, Go and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Are you the Christ? Are you the one we've been looking for? Are you the Messiah that we've been waiting for and longing for? Will you go tell them what, what, tell John what you see? You tell him that the lepers are cleansed. See, cleansing of leprosy is an indication that Jesus is the Christ, that he, he's the Messiah. It's an indication that Jesus is the Son of God. At the end of the Gospel of John, John chapter 20, he tells us that he has recorded or an account of Jesus' signs or miracles in order that people might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's Jesus' miracles. It's the signs that He does that suggest to us that He's the Son of God. He says in John chapter 14 and verse 11, Believe me because of the works themselves. And so, believe me. Believe I am who I say I am that I am the way, the truth, and the life, that I'm the bread of life, I'm the light of the world. Believe that because of the works that I do, the miracles, the signs that I've performed. A few observations you want to make in connection with all of this. You know, Jesus performs all sorts of miracles. It's not as though Jesus had the power to do one particular amazing thing, but, but couldn't do other things. He performed all sorts of miracles. He walked on the water, he calmed the sea, he turned water to wine, and he healed people's diseases, even raised the dead. 
He healed all kinds of diseases. He healed all kinds of sicknesses and, and illnesses. In Matthew chapter 24, and this particular passage is typical, in verse 23 it says, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. In verse 24, they heard about this and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them, healed all of them. You know, doctors today specialize. And so some specialize in the treatment of this disorder or this disease or this illness or this condition. He wasn't a specialist, was he? He, he? he cured everything. He had the power to cure all manner of diseases. In this particular case, he, killed, uh, he healed these ten lepers immediately. <laughs> it's not, well... I tell you what, I have a, a course of treatment that I like to administer to lepers, and I've, I've had some good results from this, and so if you'll do this, maybe over a period of weeks and months, and, and so it, it, maybe you'll get some better. I know immediately. Jesus does what no one else can do. There's no aid involved. There's no medicine involved. He simply sends them on their way, show themselves to the priest, and they're healed as they go. Simply put, he does what no mere man can do. Now the blind man in John chapter 9, he understood this. You remember that episode, Jesus on that occasion spit on the ground and made mud and put it on the man's eyes and, and then he'd go wash in the pool of Siloam. He did that and he came back and he could see. And he, then, then the rest of the chapter is taken up in discussion and dialogue about Jesus giving sight to this blind man in John 9, verse 30, 31, the opponents of Jesus are saying, We know that God does not hear sinners. If anyone is God-fearing and does His will, He hears them. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. This is the blind man speaking. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So you see that. And so from the beginning of time... We've never read, we've never heard of someone opening the eyes of someone who's born blind. But this man has done that. What does that tell you about who he is? He understood that if Jesus can do what no man can do, well, that has some implications about the true identity of Jesus, that he is, in fact, from God. He is the Son of God. All Jesus' miracles are evidence that he's the Son of God. All of them are. But his ability to cleanse the lepers is one of the more powerful. Now, we make that point from time to time that Jesus is the Son of God. We make that point a lot. Of, and that, that's the crux of the issue, isn't it? The true identity of Jesus. But if Jesus is the Son of God, what, what are the implications? That'd take a whole series of lessons to, uh, to kind of elaborate on that fully. But if Jesus is the Son of God, he's worthy of our worship. If He's the Son of God, we should worship Him. He's worthy of our allegiance. If He's the Son of God, we should be loyal to Him and faithful to Him. If He's the Son of God, He's worthy of our obedience. He has authority over us. And if He's the Son of God, then we ought to obey Him. And if He's the Son of God, He's worthy of our service. And so our worship, our allegiance, our obedience, our service. Now sometimes those points are not stated explicitly. But when we make the point, Jesus is the Son of God, those things, and perhaps even more, 
or implied. A second point we want to make here is that no, no one is beyond Jesus' reach, are they? No, no one is beyond Jesus' reach. Here are ten men. People could not get away from them fast enough, you know. A group of ten lepers walking along the road, totally shunned by others, rejected, living outside the community, separated from all others. But Jesus reaches them. He treats them with respect. He deals with them humanely and compassionately. They call out to him, Master, have mercy on them, on us. He says to them, go show yourself to the priests. And, and so Jesus responds to them, interacts with them. There's additional detail given to us in verse 16. We noted it a moment ago. And he was a Samaritan, the one leper who was cleansed, who came back to thank Jesus. It says specifically, he was a Samaritan. Now, why would Luke add that little detail? Well, why is that important enough to add to the narrative? Well, it highlights the willingness of Jesus to reach out to those rejected by others. You remember, we learn in John 4, that the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, and yet Jesus accepts this man. He has compassion on this man. He doesn't keep him at arm's length, or he doesn't shun him. He responds to him, even though he's a Samaritan. And the fact that he's a Samaritan also highlights his willingness to come to Jesus, a Jew, and express his gratitude. So the man has two major strikes against him, doesn't he? He's a leper and a Samaritan. That's, <laughs> in their culture, that, that's, that's two big strikes, isn't it? A leper and a Samaritan. And yet Jesus accepts him and commends him for his faith. Verse 19, he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. So Jesus accepts him. He treats him with honor and dignity, humanely, and even goes so far as to commend his faith. There's no one beyond the reach of Jesus. It's a common theme in the Gospels, isn't it? No one beyond the reach of Jesus. It seems especially in the Gospel of Luke. Have you ever noticed in Luke chapter 3 that the genealogy of Jesus goes all the way back to Adam? Now, in Matthew, the genealogy of Jesus goes back to Abraham. doesn't go any further back than Abraham. But in Luke, it goes all the way back to, Ab uh, to Adam. That's Luke chapter 3 and beginning in verse 23, but going down through verse 38. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Now, now why would he do that? Why would he go all the way back to Adam? Matthew only goes back to Abraham. Well, they're making different points about Jesus. Matthew emphasizes Jesus as the king of the Jews. And he's a descendant of Abraham. That he is in fact qualified as a descendant of Abraham, descendant of David, to sit on God's throne. He's king of the Jews. Luke emphasizes Jesus is the savior of everyone. He's the savior of everyone who's descended from Adam and Noah and so forth. And so Luke wants to show us that no one is beyond the reach of Jesus. In Luke chapter 2 and in verse 14, we have this prayer of Simeon, who saw Jesus at the temple in his youth. Glory to God in the highest and all peace. Uh, uh, well, let's see, let's, let me get a little bit further. Luke chapter 2, and I'm looking at verse 32. 
Luke 2, verse 32, uh, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of your people Israel. So Jesus would be a light to the Gentiles, not Jews only, but also to the Gentiles. And at the end of the book of Luke, Luke chapter 24, Jesus gives the great commission and he says that repentance and remission of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. And so a light to the Gentiles, preaching to all the nations. And in the course of the Gospel of Luke, we find Jesus accepting Samaritans. Remember, it's in the book of Luke that Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritans. Uh, Jesus uh, emphasizes that God accepts the Gentiles. The widow of Zarephath and Naaman are alluded to in chapter 4 as Jesus preaches in the synagogue in Nazareth. Tax collectors are received by Jesus. He goes to the home of Zacchaeus. You remember the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee uh, told us in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 18. Luke emphasizes that it's the women that supported Jesus in Luke 8 verses 1 through 3. He goes to the house of Simon and a sinful woman anoints the, the feet of Jesus. Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son recorded in Luke. And so it seems especially Luke is emphasizing no one is beyond the reach of Jesus. Samaritans, Gentiles, tax collectors, lepers, women, all accepted by, by Jesus. Now why would, he do, why would Luke make that point? Well, if you think about who Luke was written to, remember in those first few verses of chapter 1, he writes to most excellent Theophilus. It may very well be, though, what Jesus is trying to get Theophilus to understand is that Jesus accepts everyone, even those people that sometimes the high and mighty in this life reject. But as disciples of Jesus, we cannot reject anyone. See, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. All the lost. All the lost. If Jesus accepted lepers and Samaritans and tax collectors, Gentiles, if He welcomed all who had come to Him, well, so should we. Remember the words of Jesus, Luke 5, verse 32, that I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. All people who are willing to repent are accepted by Jesus, whether they are accepted by others or not. And if they're accepted by Jesus, then they need to be accepted by Jesus' disciples. We cannot limit our efforts to reach the lost. We can't exclude any demographic. Jesus is, came to seek and save the lost, all the lost. <laughs> and we as His disciples ought to be involved in the same work, seeking and saving the lost, all the lost. A third point is one leper returned to thank Jesus. Now we're not told what the other nine did. Maybe they went on their way to the priest. We're just not told what the other nine did. But we know that they did not return to thank Jesus the way this man did. And Jesus notices that and, and he's, a, he's disappointed in their lack of gratitude, isn't he? And you know, that's a human reaction. We, we're, we're that way. If we go to some trouble and to do something for someone and receive no thanks, well then, we're a little upset by that. Even if we go to the fast food place and get food and do business with that establishment and we, we receive no thanks, well then, we, you know, we don't appreciate that. I mean, well, Jesus noticed their lack of gratitude and, 
And he was disappointed by that. Where, where are the nine? Weren't there ten that were cleansed? Where, where are the others? You see, thankfulness is an important response to God's gracious gifts to us. It's, it's just an important part of the response, isn't it? Just, just gratitude. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says, In everything give thanks. That's simply put, isn't it? In everything give thanks. Colossians 3, verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Many times in the Psalms, this attitude is, is reflected. Psalm 100, verse 4, Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. And many other Psalms as well. But it's important to note that our gratitude toward God, our thankfulness to God, is not sufficiently expressed by a momentary statement. It's not sufficient to say, Lord, I'm thankful, and then just go on our way. Now, that, that's great. I'm not, I'm not minimizing that or suggesting we shouldn't do that. But it's a life of gratitude, a life of thankfulness. That's the important part of the response to God's gracious gifts. Now, we don't know what this man did in Luke chapter 17, this one leper. But perhaps in the days to come, as time went by, he reflected on what Christ did for him and lived a life of gratitude, a life of thankfulness as a disciple of Jesus. Do we ever think about what God has done for us? Do you think about what God has done for you and at what cost? Do you ever think about what Christ has done for you and at what cost? Do you ever think as the prodigal son thought? I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just make me a servant. Well, we should. What would a life of gratitude look like? Well, let's think about that. What would a life of gratitude look like? You might, maybe to make it a more practical exercise, think of somebody in your life that you're extremely thankful for. Somebody that you know, performed some service for you or, or did something very kind for you or very helpful for you. Might be a parent, might be a, a, a business colleague who kind of took you under his wing and showed you the ropes, you know, and, and now you are where you are because of the trouble. Might be a teacher that went to some trouble to help you. Is there somebody in your life that you just have this great you know, this great degree of gratitude for. And, and how do you react toward that person? Well, you would never dishonor them, would you? you? You always show them honor. If you see them, if you meet them, if you talk with them, it's always in with great respect, great honor, in the highest terms. When somebody speaks ill of them, you stick up for them. Well, he may not be perfect, but I'll tell you what, he helped me. Or, or something to that effect. You show some humility around them. 
You know, I would not be where I am today if it were not for him or whoever it might be. I simply would not be where I am if not for that person. And so there's that, there's that humility. And then there's the service. What can I do for you? <laughs> You've helped me tremendously. What can I do for you? And so that honor, humility, the service. And these things ought to be found in us. If we're living a grateful life before God, we're humble before Him. We always show reverence and honor to Him. We serve Him. We know very well we would not be where we are if not for Him. And we demonstrate that. We show that not in a sporadic, occasional expression of gratitude, but in a life of gratitude, a grateful life. That's how we show our thanks. The last point we want to make is that the leper was cleansed by his faith. We'll ask the question, what, you know, what healed the man? What healed him? Was he healed by God's power through Christ or through his faith? Which one was it? By God's power or by his faith? Well, it's through both, isn't it? <laughs> it's not an either-or situation, is it? It's not either God's power or his faith. It's a both-and situation, isn't it? It's both God's power and His faith. The man clearly believed Jesus could heal him. He asked Jesus to do it. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. There are others who express the same thing. They call out to Jesus in faith, hoping that they will be the beneficiaries of God's power. And Jesus responds. He acts toward this man and cleanses him. Now here's an interesting thing about, about, about this, this statement here in Luke 17. And uh, the very last verse in this section, verse 19, Stand up, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus highlights His faith. Your faith has made you well. We know it's by God's power. But it's God's power together with this man's faith that has made him well. The word has made you well is an interesting word. It's not always translated that way, has made you well. You see, sometimes... It's translated, it has saved you. It's the same word, sozo. It's the same word. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. Luke chapter 19, Jesus says, I've come to seek and save the lost. It's the same word. In Mark 16 and verse 16, uh, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Saved. It's the same word. Romans 10, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, let me ask you this question. Are we saved by God's power or by our faith? Which one is it? By God's power or by our faith? Well, it's not an either-or situation, is it? It's a both-and situation. Yes, it is God's power in combination with and together with our faith. And so just as this man reached out to Christ in faith and Christ healed him, so we reach out to Christ by faith, and He saves us. My point is, there's something for us to do. We, we call out to Him, call upon His name, reach out to Him, so to speak, in faith. And then God exerts His power on us to save. Well, I suppose Paul has said it a lot better than I can say it. In Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, verses 8 and 9, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, 
For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one would boast. Now, of course, we don't earn or merit our salvation even by our faith. Still God's grace that saves us. But He saves us, He heals us from our sin sickness on the basis of our faith. A faith that produces faithfulness. It's important to hold those concepts together as well. A faith that produces obedience, faithfulness. And in that faith, we repent of our sins, we acknowledge our faith, we express our faith in confession, and we're baptized by faith for the remission of sins. All right, our time's up. Here's really a kind of a simple story, isn't it? It only takes a few verses, pretty straightforward. Like we said earlier, contains some very strong lessons. It indicates that Jesus is the Son of God as He uh, uses His power in a miraculous way to heal this man, to cleanse this man. It shows us that no one is beyond Christ's reach. All people are acceptable to God who will come to Him through Christ. And we need to remember that lesson as well. We need to live a life of gratitude, a life of thankfulness. And we need to walk by faith, always reaching out in faith to Christ, who in turn will heal us and save us from our sin. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for today, the Lord's Day. We're thankful for the opportunity we have to come together and to worship you. We're encouraged by one another's presence, Father, as we've joined our voices together in song, as we remember our Lord's death together in the Lord's Supper, as we pray together, as we study together from your word. Father, we are encouraged by the words that we've studied today, by this leper who in faith called out to Christ, to your son, who was healed and who showed his gratitude. May we do that as well. May we reach out to Christ in faith. May we be thankful in our lives and live a life of gratitude from this point forward. Help us, Father, as we put forth an effort to reach out to others, to those who are in need of, of Christ, those who are lost and separated from Him. Help us, Father, to reach out to all who are willing to come and encourage them to repent so that they can enjoy God's mercy as well. We ask you to go with us today, guide us, and uh, along the way, be patient with us, build us up, strengthen us for the days to come. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.